0: Hey, hello, hi, welcome to and back to the Theory podcast. I am your host, Jill Therese, and this week's episode, drumroll please, da 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 is the beginner's guide to positive reinforcement horse training. And if you're like, boo, what the heck, I already know. Well, hopefully it will serve as either a refresher or I might say something differently and you're like, oh my god, yeah, that's awesome. Um, (laughs) And if you have listened to the podcast for a long time or started at the beginning, then you know that the first season when this podcast was called Equine in Theory Uh, I pretty much covered a lot of the basic stuff, but I wanted to revamp it and do it again, if that makes sense, because I'm a perfectionist at heart and nothing is ever good enough and I just need to keep redoing it until it's good. But this episode, I wanted to kind of go through what it is, why should I do it? And how do I do it? And so it's probably going to be quite a little bit of a series, honestly, because we all we all be (laughs) knowing Jill's long winded. But I want to discuss like what positive reinforcement is, what the quadrants are, what it looks like, and why you should do it. Why should you not do it? Who can do it? What do you need to do it? Like all of the things. And so I think without further ado, we should just get into it. How does that sound? Okay, three, two, one, go. Okay, guys, you know the drill, and it finally happened. I did redo the Patreon ad, but I still don't like it, so I might do it again. But we got to read the ads first, okay? 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 Here we go. Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder how I can support Jill and her horses and this wonderful, amazing, incredible podcast that I love so much, or had a training question or a behavior-related question and just wanted to talk to another horse nerd about your things? Well, boy, oh boy, do I have the solution for you! If you're willing and able, please check us out at EquiTheory on your Patreon app or at Patreon.com/Equithery. When you become a patron, you will have access to different perks and benefits depending on which tier you choose. At the five-dollar tier, you can ask that burning question that's been gnawing at you for the past week, and I'll answer it right here on the podcast. Additionally, at this tier and every tier beyond, you will have access to our very own online community full of fellow horse nerds. At the ten-dollar Tier, which is my personal favorite, you can ask any and as many questions as you like. Plus, you get to join in on the monthly live Q and A events that we do, and you get all your questions answered in real time. Then we have some options for higher level tiers where you have access to phone call consults with me, in which you can either choose to make them private or help me make an episode for the podcast, and we can publish it together. And then you'll have access to your question and my answer forever. Um, But At the highest, the very, the very highest, the veriest highest, (laughs) you have an option where you can send me videos and footage of you working with your horse, and I'll review it, send you notes, recommendations, and everything in between. Um, Do note that Patreon works on a recurring monthly payment system, but you can cancel at any time, and it's still way cheaper than one to two lessons a week at like $45 each, and that adds up real quick. So monthly payment for lots of training, (laughs) and if you can't support us on Patreon, no worries at all whatsoever, listening is more than enough, and hopefully the podcast will help you with your training anyway. Uh, The last way that you can support us is through merch, which is fun for both of us. It's not necessarily as educational and insightful as... Uh, training advices, but it still looks cool and it's free advertising for me, and I appreciate that. And I also think the designs are cool. I literally only wear my merch now, <laughs> um, but you can easily find it by checking out Equitheory on Teespring or just visit my website, slash shop, to browse and find Teespring from there. We've got everything from sweatshirts, hoodies to t shirts, mugs, banner stickers, and everything in between. So be sure to check that out and support us if you can. But again, if not, no pressure whatsoever it's all good. Just keep on listening to the podcast. Maybe do a little subscribe on the YouTube channel if you're feeling it, but that's about it. And with that, I'm going to let you get back into the things that you actually want to hear about. <laughs> Alrighty, guys, let us get into this. So first, before we dive into what positive reinforcement is and all of those things, I do want to say, please don't just listen to this episode and go grab your Clicker or make a mouth sound and a bag full of sugary treats and dart off to your horse and go start training it to do things. I highly recommend you take it as seriously as you take your traditional riding education. So In traditional riding, you spend years on a lunge line or with a trainer on a dead broke pony, and you dedicate yourself to being out there once or twice a week, even more, and learning everything you can by being under the watchful eye of an educated individual. A lot of us don't have that luxury when training with positive reinforcement because it's not the norm, so there aren't too many trainers that Will teach it, so it's hard to find one in a given area. But the good news is, it is becoming more popular. A lot of people are starting to use it and teach it. And I've heard about more and more positive reinforcement trainers cropping up. So, in the next couple of years, you might have one in your area. Um, But until then, I would really recommend you know, you're going to have to take some personal responsibility for your horse's training. And that means you might have to pick up a book, read a couple, you know, couple books, couple articles, and maybe take an online course or two, a lot of positive reinforcement trainers offer online training and online courses as well. And I I think that's incredible, because there hasn't really been a need for that before. So I think it's a, a big shift in the industry. I know there have always been podcasts and like, niche little, um, you know, work on this, you know, and at, at this workshop or whatever, but not a full scale training program online, which I think is really cool. Um, but that said, again, I just, I want to make sure that everyone listening is aware it's serious. It's training horses are big and dangerous, whatever they can hurt you. And I don't want anybody to get bitten or to get run over (laughs) or anything like that. And if you do positive reinforcement correctly, you will have a horse that will not do any of those things. So I I just want to say, please be careful and please make intelligent decisions about it and use common sense. Don't start to operate the machine until you know how it works or you might hurt yourself. Okay. So the last thing I want to say is a lot of people get turned off by positive reinforcement because they start clicker training and it doesn't work or they get a horse that's muggy. But I want to say that if it is not working, you are either doing it wrong or it's not actually positive reinforcement because by definition, it must work. (laughs) And I will get into what all of that means in just a moment. But I just I want to say that if it's not working for you, it's operator error, or you don't have the patience to take the time you need to thoroughly explain it to the animal, which is fine. I mean, it's totally open or up to individual decision, but it's something you should consider if you aren't willing to put in the time to learn how to train your animal, uh, then that's up to you. But I think we all should. I think if we're going to have horses and use them as working animals and preach that we love them so much, you know, I think that we should put in a little time to educate ourselves about how their brains work and what works for them and, you know, all the options available to you training method-wise. I know I certainly did not land on positive reinforcement as my first. (laughs) I went from natural horsemanship, Pirelli, to Monty Roberts, to just your basic traditional eventing stuff and, um, eventually found positive reinforcement. And then I fell into a a few different rabbit holes, uh, within that subheading or heading, I guess. And, um, you know, now I'm kind of at a place where I'm like, yeah, this is, this is it. Um, and I've done a lot of research on it and it just, it works best for me and my horses and my goals and my values and training. So, you know, I hope that maybe at least if you're not super interested in doing it all the way, you know, maybe it'll get you thinking about the way that you work traditionally. So what is positive reinforcement? Well, in order to answer that question, I have to explain a little bit about operant conditioning. So operant conditioning was B.F. Skinner's coining. He decided on that term, Um, but it followed Ivan Pavlov's uh, discovery and or coining of classical or respondent conditioning, which is essentially just associative learning. So the dog Pavlov's dog (laughs) learned to associate food with the sound of a bell. So the bell began to predict food and the dog would salivate at the mere sound of the bell. The food didn't even have to be present because it had been paired so closely so many times that the bell would make the dog salivate. So if you think about that in terms of horse training, we use clickers or uh, a marker signal or mouth sound. um, And when you make that sound, the horse knows the food's coming. There's another component to that, but we'll get into that in a moment. So uh, B.F. Skinner... Came out with operant conditioning. And operant conditioning is essentially the learning in which the strength of a behavior is increased or decreased by either reinforcement or punishment. And it comes with four quadrants of operant conditioning. It's got positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, and negative punishment. And if you want to see all of this in a written form, you can head on over to my website, which is jeneckwitheary.com. And under the plus R tab, you'll find the positive reinforcement glossary. Um, And I have all of this written out, easy for you to read with lots of examples. Um, But yeah, so... Let's break down what each of these things means. So you've got reinforcement, punishment, and positive and negative. So reinforcement just means increased behavior. So you're increasing the probability of that behavior happening again. You like it. You want more of it. Or you don't know that you're reinforcing it and you keep accidentally doing it and keep getting mad at the animal doing the same thing that you keep inadvertently reinforcing. Punishment works to decrease behavior. It's the inverse of reinforcement. So with punishment, you know, you the horse bites you and you smack it in the face. And then the horse says, Oh, I won't bite you anymore. Because I get I get punished when that happens. Um, Side note, that actually usually doesn't work. It might, it depends on the horse and the person and the strength of the punch. But I would not recommend that there are many other ways uh, to rectify that behavior, which do not involve hitting animals. But if that's your thing, more power to you, I guess. Um, Hope I don't see you on Facebook. (laughs) But the other definitions we need to cover are positive and negative. So these carry a lot of weight colloquially. We associate positive with good and negative with bad. So when I say that traditional training is primarily based in negative reinforcement, you know, you, your hair might stand up a little bit on your, on your back. <laughs> you might be like, oh, no, my training is not negative. It is, but not in the way you think. Negative means removal. It's the mathematical sense of the word. So negative is removal and positive is addition. So positive reinforcement isn't better because it has a plus in front of it. It's It just means to add. So when you have positive reinforcement, you are adding something in order to increase behavior. And in order to increase behavior, you must add something that the horse likes. And so, you know, you add an appetitive appetitive that word is so difficult for me you add something desirable a treat <laughs> scratches something that the animal really likes if you add something that the animal doesn't like you're gonna punish it so if your horse is has ulcers and his skin is really sensitive and you try to reward him with scratches he's probably just going to walk away from you if he's at liberty but um, then you've accidentally punished your horse because he doesn't like that other types of punishment are whipping, and spurring, kicking, pulling, <laughs> all of those things are punishment. Obviously, there is a, uh, a sliding scale of severity and intensity and um, escalation, but we'll talk about that momentarily, but those are all forms of potential punishers. You could also accidentally punish a horse by feeding it a treat that you don't that it doesn't like. Um, and you could accidentally reinforce a horse uh, with positive reinforcement say if you have a rambunctious little colt and he's biting you and you smack him in the face, you might be actually he might interpret that as you're playing with him and he might actually like that and then keep doing it more. So um, you know you have to decide if your horse is a sadist or not. <laughs> (laughs) Um, they are not just throwing that out there. Um, but if it's perceived as play with a young one, especially a cult, you know, you might miss your signals might get crossed, but, um, So let's get into the negative. So negative reinforcement is removing something that the animal doesn't like. So it's different from negative or positive punishment, because in positive punishment, you're adding something the animal doesn't like. In negative reinforcement, you're removing something the horse doesn't like. So you can imagine where this gets a little bit complicated, because they, in order to remove something that the animal doesn't like, usually you have to add something that they don't like. Um, which is a complex way to say it, but I feel like when I first learned about it, nobody really explained that to me, and I was like, huh? You You have to add something. Like, picture you're riding, and you're just sitting on your horse, and you want him to go forward. You're going to put your leg on, and when he walks forward, you're going to take it off. So, you know, you, you have to add something that is sort of, it's a mild punisher, but you're putting your leg on, which is uncomfortable for the horse, um, you know, especially if you're training a young one. You know, if if you've got a, a well-schooled schoolmaster and you put your leg on and they go forward, it's not, it's probably not punishing. But It is. That's where it falls on the spectrum. And then when you take your leg off, you're reinforcing the behavior. You're telling them, yes, that was the right answer. Um, And now I'm going to remove the thing that you don't like. Because I imagine if you just left your leg on, your horse would probably just keep going faster until you took it off. If you have a well-trained horse, if your horse is dead to your leg, (laughs) um, we've got another problem. But so... That brings us to negative punishment, which works on sort of the sliding scale inverse with positive reinforcement. So negative punishment is when you remove something that the animal wants and you're punishing their behavior. So a lot of this can happen when you are doing your positive reinforcement session, you're clicking, you're rewarding, and then you decide you're done and you leave. And the horse is like, what the heck did I do, dude? Where are you going? And then you accidentally punish them. Uh, By doing that. So, um, another way to think about it would be like if you have your horse in the cross ties and you've got treats in your pocket and he's nosing you and just sniffing you all over and you just keep standing there and, you know, he moves his nose away and then you bring the treat out and then he goes to grab it and you didn't like that. So, you put the treat back in your pocket. You've removed something that the horse likes and you've punished that behavior. There are other conceptualizations of it, but you know, you get it. So, um, you know, they work on a crisscrossing scale and there's actually a really good, um, graphic on my website from, um, empowered equines where they, they show the, it's more of a figure eight than four quadrants. And there's a lot that goes into it, but it, it gets complicated, but the simplest way to think about it is that positive reinforcement is adding something to increase behavior Negative reinforcement is removing something to increase behavior. Positive punishment is adding something to decrease behavior. And negative punishment is <laughs> removing something to decrease behavior. So I think, I think we got it. Do we got it? Okay. So what are the differences between negative reinforcement or traditional riding and positive reinforcement riding? So You know, This is where we get into the should you train with positive reinforcement, should you not. That is totally and entirely up to you and your horse and what you feel comfortable doing. If you are not at all interested in reading more and educating yourself about how to train your horse, I would not recommend positive reinforcement. I would recommend sticking with somebody who will tell you how to ride and what to do and just keep doing your thing Um, because I will not lie. Learning how to do positive reinforcement takes a lot more work because in traditional writing, the phrase negative reinforcement is hardly ever used. In fact, I didn't know it was a thing until I got into my college psychology class and learned about learning theory and actually understood what negative reinforcement was. None of my trainers, I've ridden with several Olympians and I did clinics and I had several different trainers growing up, not a one said anything about operant conditioning. And it's the way all animals learn, regardless of prey or predator, regardless of frontal lobe or not. Humans, dolphins, cats, dogs, horses, all of them, they all learn through this. And it's crazy because, you know, uh, people always say things to the effect of, "Well, horses are too big or you'll teach them bad manners or they'll start to bite um, if you feed them food out of your hand and that's not true at all um people do positive reinforcement training with lions and tigers and bears oh my and it works and they teach them at zoos to line up to a a small hole in the wall and the animal will walk up to it offer their shoulder or their arm or their belly or wherever they're getting a shot let you stick them with a needle give them the shot stay there not you can't i mean you can't like halter those animals and tie them up like you you have to do it at liberty unless you sedate them and so they they figured out how to do it by having the animals take voluntary injections and the animals will line up get their shot and take a treat and then they're done that's it And so the idea that you can't train a horse with positive reinforcement is comical to me because they're, you know, the colloquial thing is that they're too dangerous. And I'm like, oh my God, and a lion isn't. Um, But anyway, so in positive reinforcement, you know, you're, you're constantly adding things that the horse likes and in negative reinforcement you're constantly removing things that the horse doesn't like and both of those are reinforcing behavior so like i said when you're asking your horse to go forward and you put your leg on and you ask them to walk on then when they walk forward you take your leg off that's negative reinforcement you're removing something that the animal doesn't really like and then in positive reinforcement the way to get a horse to go forward would require prior training because in in most traditional settings some people do it in a better way from the ground but for sake of making this easier to understand um you know when you're teaching a young horse that's never been ridden before and you get on and you put your leg on you're probably going to keep applying pressure until the horse gets uncomfortable and takes a step forward and then you take it off and you're like oh see you're fine But with positive reinforcement, you would have to start on the ground. I would really not recommend starting it in the saddle and teach them a verbal cue, a walk-on cue. You would probably start by teaching the horse how to target and follow it, and you would start pairing. You would say, um, you know, walk on, present the target, have the horse follow it, click treat. And then you do that over and over and over and over and over again until the horse starts to realize that walk on predicts the target's presentation and that the horse needs to move. So eventually you can fade out the target and the horse will walk on just at the word itself. And then you have a verbal cue and then you transfer it to the saddle and you might have to have somebody on the ground for the first go because the horse has to learn to generalize uh, that walking on happens wherever you are, regardless of position when that word is said. And if that's your cue, you know, it might be a and then the horse moves forward, whatever your cue is. And then when they do, you click and treat. And if you want to know more about how riding works with positive reinforcement, I'm not going to get into that in this episode, but I did just do an entire four-part series with Kane Meyer from Meyer Horsemanship. Um, There are a couple episodes back, but um, that way, if you're automatically wondering, well, how do you get anywhere if you have to stop and feed them all the time? (laughs) Um, That's how Uh, you listen to those episodes and then you learn. But, um, so those are the major differences. It's going to look different, but you can have the same end result, but it takes more work to do it with positive reinforcement. But in my opinion, you end up with an animal who under has a better understanding because a lot of times with positive reinforcement, you can't not make sure all of your holes are filled in your foundation training, because if you miss a hole, the horse isn't going to be able to understand, you know, the next behavior that it needs to offer, um, or understand the cues and all the circumstances with, with negative reinforcement, traditional training, it's a lot easier to just kind of, you know, strong arm your way through it. And then you get it and you're like, okay, good boy. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's just a different mindset as well. Because if you think about um, – It's a societal thing, too, that if you are constantly focused on what's going wrong in your life, then, you know, you're not going to have a very good perception of the world. But if you're constantly looking for things to go right, appreciating them and rewarding them, then you're probably going to be pretty damn happy. So, um, you know, it works the same with training if you're constantly riding around and this is what i noticed in myself when i switched was that um you know just my mind sh- my mindset was completely different even when i would ride client horses with negative reinforcement traditionally um you know i was constantly looking for when i could release when i could reinforce their behavior and it's just it's it's such a different way to go about riding because i think a lot of what happens in traditional training is there's a lot of pressure to look perfect, get the score, win, have a good instagram picture, you know, you want to look good, you want to be good and have skill. and so you're constantly focused on what isn't adding to that image and fixing it. and so when you're riding around if your horse is slightly counterbent, you're like, "oh, fix that." and if, you know, you need him to canter and he doesn't canter, you're like, Oh, my God, we we passed C already, I need you to canter right now, or I'm going to get a bad mark. And then you might get a little bit stronger, and then have the horse canter. Whereas with positive reinforcement, you know, when something doesn't go right, a lot of us, well, most positive reinforcement trainers, if not all avoid using punishment, except inadvertent negative punishment. But um, we when a horse isn't responding to a cue it's an immediate stop okay what's happening like what what did i miss what is the horse not understanding is there something wrong is there a physical issue that's preventing this from happening is the horse confused is he scared and like there's a lot more focus on how can i help the horse rather than just like damn it horse do it and i i want to say i am not saying that everybody who rides negative reinforcement is like that obviously that's not the case but it, it, but it's a, it's almost a, a mindset that you somewhat can't help. And I, there are very good negative reinforcement trainers out there who don't experience any of that. But um, from every single rider that I've ever talked to, there is some level of that at least, because you're constantly fixing things. You constantly have to hang on to the horse and then release when he does it right. And, you know, sometimes people just hang the whole time for the entire ride or keep kicking the whole time. Um, you know, and it's not, about like looking, it's not searching for opportunities to reward. Whereas with positive reinforcement, you're constantly communicating to the horse. Yes, yes, yes. And that is what the clicker means. So that's what I'm going to talk about now. What on earth is the clicker and the bridge or marker signal? So a bridge signal bridges, the behavior and um, reinforcement. So when, say you tell your horse trot, and your horse picks up a trot, you click, and then you give them the treat. So the clicker is communicating two things. Yes, that was right. And food is coming. So if you remember Pavlov's dog, those dogs learned that that bell predicted food. So when, um, and the, Classical conditioning doesn't really require anything of the animal. I guess in some ways it could be reinforcing whatever the dog was doing at the moment. But classical conditioning isn't about behavior modification, really. It's more mental. But um, in operant conditioning, you click to communicate food's coming, but also that that was the right behavior and that behavior is what earned you this food. And it takes a few repetitions um, for the horses to get it. Some pick it up really quick and some don't. But the reason that a marker signal is so crucial to training is because it just enhances that clarity so much because, you know, a lot of people will go riding and they'll do a whole show jumping course and you know 30 minute lesson come back to the barn and then give their horse a treat and say good boy you did so good today and while it makes you feel better the horse is not associating that with the whole ride you have there's a lot more you have to do in order for that to happen so you're reinforcing the horse standing in the cross ties and more often than not you're reinforcing the horse nosing your pockets for the treat and so with a bridge signal, you can mark individual behaviors. And I am a firm believer that each click equals a reward. You, I do not believe in the blazing clicker where you could just click, 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 click for every behavior you like, and then you reinforce it at the end of a series. There's a better way to do that, um, which is not that episode, but I will say it is using keep going signals, uh, which you have to pair and add in there. <laughs> but um, that's more advanced than this episode is. Um, but I just, if you are going to click your clicker, you better be prepared to give your horse a reward because otherwise you're destroying the integrity of the clicker, the clicker, the clicker, the clicker, clicker, in my opinion. Um, and I know that there is maybe somebody out there that's thinking, well, variable reinforcement is, yeah, it strengthens behavior. We get it, but don't use the clicker. You can do it another way with, uh, keep going signals. But anyway, so, it communicates those two things that are very important. And you might think that that isn't, you know, the biggest deal in the world when you're teaching things like smile or Spanish walk or something like that. But sorry, burped. Um, (laughs) But if you're teaching like trot, and you have the horse trotting around you on a circle, and you click, but you want your horse to stay out on the circle, you need them to understand that you're going to bring the food to them, they don't have to rush up to you. And, um, you know, you also have that That timing break. So, if your horse is far away from you, say on that trot circle, by clicking, you've communicated, yes, that's the behavior you're being rewarded for, but hold on a second, I gotta walk over there. So, instead of trying to be next to the horse the entire time and handing them food when they're doing things right, you buy yourself a little bit of time there. So, there you go with the marker signals. And now it's time to answer who can do this? What horses? What people? Is there a breed or an age? The answer is no. Anyone can do it. Any horse can do it regardless of age or breed. All animals learn the same way. They learn through operant conditioning. They might have different reinforcers. They might have different punishers. And they might have, you know, different facets of behavior or psychology that changes things a little bit. But every, everyone on earth learns through operant conditioning. Even fish, like little teeny tiny fish, you can train them to do things. So with that said, your old broken down toothless horse in the back 40 can learn through clicker training you can do it. And there's not a specific breed that will do it. There aren't stupid horses. There aren't really intelligent, well, Zoe, you know. <laughs> but there there's no animal that can't learn this way. You might have to adapt, you know. I mean, I'm sure there are some horses that aren't as bright as others, and there are personality types to account for, you know, some horses might be a little more on the anxious side and some horses might be really chill and laid back. But Those have nothing to do with whether or not it works or not. It just, the application might vary. So as far as who can do it, what human can do it, anybody who is dedicated to learning about training and, um, you know, how behavior and horses work. If you are not somebody who is interested in educating yourself, don't do it. Um, it takes a lot of work. And you have to read books, listen to podcasts, write training plans, which I don't really do, full disclosure. Um, I'm working on it, though. I'm planning to. I'm planning to plan. (laughs) But, um, you know, you have to, like I said at the beginning, you have to understand how the machine works before you go out and just start using it. Otherwise, you're going to get hurt. So, If you are a dedicated person who is all about it and is a behavior nerd at heart and truly wants to understand the best way to communicate with your horse, you are the one to do this. And if you're not, that's okay. Keep doing your thing and just have your trainer teach you, you know, but you're probably not going to get a well-rounded, full-scoped education because you're relying and dependent on another person to teach you. Whereas if you take your education into your own hands, then it's up to you and your own critical thinking to decide what information works best for you and your horse and which information to kind of put to the side and save for later. Um, so that's kind of what I've done. I, Like I said earlier, I really did not feel like I got a lot of actual researched scientific backing for my training growing up. I was a competitive eventer for over a decade <laughs> and I I never was taught negative reinforcement. It never came into the conversation and I would ask why things were done and I would get the, well, because that's how the horses understand it. And I was like, how do they know that? And now I get it because of reinforcement history. That's how. And. I, I it just I was missing a crucial component to how training worked. And it was very frustrating for me, which means I brought a lot of aggression into my rides. There was a lot of frustration, a lot of emotions, a lot of crying, and uh, you know, I don't like to consider myself an overly emotional individual, but when you have your one and only beautiful, lovely animal that you are so dedicated to, and you just cannot get them to understand. And you're frustrated, or you're whipping them, and you don't like that you're doing that, but you feel like you have to because there's no other way and they have to learn, you know, all of those things tie into it. And when you don't know another way, you know, that's all you can do. And then it's frustrating. And then it sucks the fun out of writing, at least it did for me. And so, you know, Then I found positive reinforcement. I was like, oh, wait, I can make it fun again. (laughs) Um, But so that's my spiel on that. And then we are going to move into what do you need to drain with positive reinforcement? So you need a clicker um, that can, I would really, really recommend using a tangible one first. And I say that because it's your timing. You don't realize how bad it is at the beginning. (laughs) When I go back and watch my YouTube videos of me first teaching Zoe how to smile and target and do manners and stuff, my clicks were like three full seconds late. I'm talking like one, two, three. Like I, in the video, I watched the behavior happen. and I'm like, OK, click, click. Jill, click. Oh my God, click. Okay, there it is. And I'm like, how did I not how am I that slow? But you're you're thinking about so many things that you don't realize how bad your timing is. And um, so I wouldn't recommend adding, I also have to make a sound with my mouth to that. Um, so I would use a tangible physical clicker first. Get your timing good, and I switch back and forth all the time between my mouth sound and the tangible clicker because uh, my mouth do be getting hella dry a lot. And <laughs> I my my verbal marker is sk. Um, it's like a ssk sk, and it's it's hard to make when your mouth is dry, like right now. Um, so I'm gonna take a drink of water. But so you need a tangible clicker. You can get one for under four dollars on Amazon or usually 99 cents at your local pet store. Um, my favorite, I have listed on com under the plus R tab. With It's under training gear. And it slips over your pointer finger. So you can press it with your thumb and you don't have to like hang on to it. It's just around your finger, which is my favorite thing in the entire world because I don't like the ones that go around your wrist because you have to like catch it every time you want to click. Um, but you will also need a bum bag for my UK viewers and a fanny pack for my UK or my US viewers listeners, but um that way you can um you know have all of your treats with you and you will also have enough to do your end of session cue which I will talk about momentarily but essentially you you're gonna you're gonna need snacks that's what I'm saying. You gotta have your clicker, your fanny pack, and your snacks. And what snacks should you use? The most asked question ever. Um, I highly recommend using alfalfa pellets. Um they also have low sugar snacks and things that you can use. Please God, do not use sugary cereal or apples or carrots or things like that because you will probably destroy your horse's stomach and also their feet. <laughs> um, so you know sugar horses' bodies are not designed to process a lot of sugar. So um, you know take a look at your feed label <laughs> and uh, you know don't don't use like the A at like tractor supply or feed stores all the things like knicker makers or, you know, those apple, they're like shaped like little beans, like big beans, like two inches tall. They're shaped like beans. And they're like apple or carrot flavored. A, they're too expensive. And B, they're so high in sugar. It's ridiculous. Uh, I would only ever use those when you get like that bomb ass behavior, like the horse really knocked it out of the park. And you're like, yes, that was so good. You can give them a couple of those. But for everything else, I would recommend really just using alfalfa pellets. And at the beginning of your training, you know, that's that's pretty much all you're gonna need. Um so, you know, that leads us into reinforcement. So you know, we just talked about snacks and hopefully by using the low sugar treats, um, or I really recommend alfalfa pellets. You can get a 50-pound bag for the same price that you can get, <laughs> like a, you know, 10 ounce bag of the really expensive treats that will hurt your horse in the long run. Um, but, and they're really hard to overfeed unless you have a metabolic horse or something with uh, that sort of issue. Um, and you know, if you do, you could always use hay or I wouldn't really recommend using grass, but you can, um, grass tends to be really high in sugar though. um, But you can also use scratches, just anything that the horse likes. But again, like I said earlier, if your horse does not like you touching them or does not have an itchy spot or scratches, number one, I would evaluate first to see if the horse has ulcers or have a body worker or chiropractor out to make sure that there's not pain anywhere in their body um, rather than just being like, oop, he doesn't like scratches. Um, But, you know, you could have a horse like Zoe. Um, Zoe used to hate being scratched. She did not like pets. She did not want you to touch her. Surprise. She had ulcers. Um, but it escalated to the point where when I groomed her, she was kicking out, swishing her tail and like kind of doing like a little mini pee off in the cross ties, pinning her ears. You could hear her teeth grinding, just currying and brushing her. And I did it so lightly because I was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Like she's, (laughs) she's really not enjoying this. I didn't know it was because of ulcers and nobody told me that. And I could kill them for just allowing me to ignorantly endure her or let her endure that, but also me, because I never looked into it or asked why, oh God, ask why, if there's anything that you take away from this episode, please, God, let it be, question everything, that is the only way you will ever learn, and also it lets you know what you know and what other people don't know, because if if you ask a question, they go, well, be that, because that's the way it is, because that's the way it sh- it's done, then you're like, mm, okay, we're going to bookmark that one and go research it. And uh, find out why. Because usually when there's not an answer, it's based on a fallacy, which is typically dominance theory. But I did a whole YouTube video and couple episode series about that here on the podcast. So you can listen to those if you'd like. But it's been debunked. Uh, You don't need to be dominant over your horse. That is the bottom line. But um, the most important thing to remember about reinforcement is it is dependent on the learner. It is not up to you. Just because you think alfalfa pellets are tasty doesn't mean your horse does. Just because you think your horse should like scratches doesn't mean they do. And, you know, if if you're scratching your horse to reinforce them and it doesn't feel good, then you're punishing them. So you need to make sure that you are reading your horse correctly. And you're understanding what they like. And the quickest way to tell if a horse likes where you're scratching them or not is, A, don't have them tied up. Allow them space to where they can walk away from you. That's a very quick way to learn if they like it or not. And B, to watch their upper lip because they'll normally poke it out. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's the equivalent of the dog, like, uh, smacking their bottom foot on the ground when you, uh, or their back foot, lol. No, well, um, when you, like, scratch their belly. So uh, look for that, and, you know, if you don't get that, it's probably not the good spot. Me and Zoe, uh, it was funny, a couple days ago, I was scratching her really good, and I would just, like, step back and hold my hands up, like, in, like, little claws, and I would be like, where do you want it? And then she would line herself up, whether it was her shoulder, her chest, um, she would point to her you know, her back hawk (laughs) and I would scratch there. Like it was, it was crazy. She was totally telling me where she wanted it. And it was awesome. So, you know, you, you can develop that communication system with your horse as well. Um, but typically food is the easiest way to go. Um, scratches tend to be a lower value reinforcement in most cases. Um, some, it really depends on the horse, but for most of them, like if, you know, you're in an environment and things are kind of, You know, there's a lot of energy, there's a lot going on, maybe it's really windy, and horses are running around, scratches are probably not going to do it for you, you know, you need something that's like really valuable to the horse. Um, So, you know, when I was riding Zoe before she got diagnosed with kissing spine, I um, would carry... A fanny pack that had two pockets and I would put alfalfa pellets in one and carrots in the other pocket. And so when she did really really good, I could reward her with the carrots. And everything else was just alfalfa pellets. So it was valuing or varying that reinforcement which kept it interesting for her and also, you know, made those harder, more high-value movements worth it. But I also wasn't overdosing her with sugar. So I think that covers all of that first beginning, so now we're gonna talk about how on earth do you start? So when you are first getting started, your horse doesn't know what a clicker is. He doesn't know what that sound means, and he knows what food means, which is why food is a primary reinforcer and that is that's what we use for reinforcement scratches and treats and food are often primary reinforcers other examples are buddies and shelter and water but those are kind of hard to use in training so we tend to stick with scratches and treats so what are you going to train first well first most of us need to have the horse understand what the clicker means so you're picking your behavior which is helping charge the clicker. So a lot of people do this by simply clicking and then handing the horse a treat, clicking, handing the horse a treat, or putting it in a a feed pan on the ground or in a bucket. And you click, treat, click, treat, click, treat, click, treat. And then the horse starts to understand that the clicker is going to predict food. I personally don't like to use this method because it only teaches the horse that the clicker means one thing. And if you recall what I said earlier, the clicker means two things. It means that was right and food is coming. So I don't recommend this method for that reason because you're reinforcing whatever behavior the horse is doing. And then you can get superstitious behavior, which is essentially you're not reinforcing what you think you are. (laughs) And the horse thinks that his nose in your pocket is what's earning him the click and thus the treat. So you want to make sure that you are reinforcing the behavior that you like. So I like to do this by teaching target training first. So I'll get to manners and how you teach your horse not to be in your space in a moment. But the first thing I do is teach target training. I always start this in protected contact. And if you are like, Jill, I know my horse and I love my horse. We're comfortable together. I'm going to do it in the paddock or in the stall. Okay? To that, I say that is your choice. But it's a dumb one. Um, Unless you know this horse is quite standoffish and is never in your space. For example, we have... Juno, our mare that, um you know, she was abused and not treated well. So she's very distressful of humans. And so, you know, sometimes, uh, or when I first started her, I went in the actually, I think I might have started it over the fence, but pretty quickly, I was in there with her doing it. But The flip side to that is, you know, you are keeping yourself safe from the horse, but you're also keeping the horse safe from you. So if you work in protected contact, that means you have a fence or a stall wall, stable door, whatever, between you and the horse. And that means if the horse starts biting at you or mugging you, you can step away. You don't have to hit the horse. So that's what we call setting up the environment or antecedent arrangement. So you want to make sure that you are setting up the environment for success. And to me, that means setting the horse up to be right and be safe from punishment. So if you are having to punish your horse, you have either not done the training to prevent it from happening, or the horse is um, not understanding what you're asking, or you've not set up the environment correctly. And so, you know, in my opinion, you should never have to use punishment unless it is an emergency. If you know, you're about to die, okay, use it. But I I just I don't get <laughs> every time I talk about punishment people are like, "Okay, but what if this circumstance?" And I'm like, "Dude, why do you want to use it so bad? Like let it go. Set up the environment and then you don't have to." So, if you were to start clicker training with a horse that is very food motivated and you go in the stall with them and they're all over you and you're trying to withhold waiting for the right behavior, you know, you might get bitten or stepped on or something and that's it's not good because you're in order to protect yourself, you're going to have to hit the horse or push him off of you or do something undesirable. And that's not good for either of you. And you know, not every horse is like that, obviously. But um, with every horse that I start, I start in protected contact. Um, because food is very motivating for horses. And you have to understand that they're naturally foragers. So their entire hardwiring is set to search for food on the ground with yes their noses so if you have food in your pocket they're going to search for it in your pocket by nosing you it's not rude it's not pushy it's not any of those awful labels that people like to throw on them it's just a horse being a horse and a lack of the trainer doing anything to help the horse understand that that's not what they want and a lot of people will hit the horse or bat it away or move away which just creates frustration or fear or anxiety. And that's not what you want. So the best way to do it is to start in protected contact and teach the horse where you want them to be when they want food or when you have food, where you want them to be. So, like I said, I like to set up the environment and, uh, you know, I'll start either over a paddock fence or have the horse in a stall and, you know, have a stall guard hung or the, uh, you know, the like little window that they can see out of open. And I, I start with target training because it's a lot more um, obvious than the way I teach manners. So, you know, they have something that they can see and understand. So I have a stick that has like a, a buoy on the end of it. But you can honestly hold up a traffic cone, a Gatorade bottle, you know, a I don't know anything that the horse can see. A candle, whatever you want, <laughs> and as long as the horse can see it and isn't afraid of it, you can use it. Sometimes when you have a big long stick with something on the end of it, the horses will see that as a whip, and if they have been whipped before, they might associate uh, that with bad things. So I would not recommend using that if your horse isn't comfortable with it. Um, so you know, maybe you start with you know something that's just easy, like you could use a folded piece of paper just something that the horse can see and get them comfortable with it. You know, you might not be able to hold it up high and you might have to put it on the ground or something. I don't know. You know, you'll have to work with your individual horse, but the goal of targeting is to get the horse to touch the thing. But that is the end behavior. Your goal behavior is getting the horse to touch it. So like I said, in the list, you pick a behavior, you set up the environment. So you're picking your behavior, which is teaching the horse to target because you want the horse to understand what the clicker means and, um, you know, that it's associated with its behavior. So say you have your folded piece of paper or your Gatorade bottle, your target, and you hold it up and the horse looks at it and goes, what's that? Click it. (laughs) Do not wait until the horse reaches out and touches it because, Positive reinforcement works by using successive approximation. So what that means is you take the small little components of the end behavior and you gradually build on them, slowly raise your criteria until you get the end behavior. It's different from negative reinforcement because we often just get the the end behavior and then they get reinforced. In positive reinforcement, you have to work up to it because you can't physically force the horse into doing something like you can with negative reinforcement. Um, because usually people that work with positive reinforcement don't have their hands on the horse most of the time. And I mean, you can do it from the saddle and you can teach tactile cues and everything like that, but that's not what this is. So you hold up your target and your horse looks at it, click, and then you feed them and feed them away from your body. So you want your horse to start learning here that they don't come to you for treats. You come to them for treats and you're always feeding them away from you as a baseline rule, when you first start out, make sure your arm is as far away from your body as possible, all the way out and hand it to your horse. And your horse should not have to come to your hand for the food, you bring it to them. So you're you're establishing the beginnings here for everything after. So if you slowly start, you know, moving your hand closer and closer to your your body over time, your horse is going to start going back to your body for food. And if your horse Um, you know, if your if your horse always has to go to the end of your arm and your arm is past his head and he has to reach for it, then he's going to start looking for your hand and you don't want any of that. You just want the horse to trust that you are going to come to them. So ideally your horse isn't ever looking for the food. It is your responsibility to appropriately give it to them. So you've done that now. And then you hold up your target again and the horse looks at it again and you click and treat. And do this a couple times until you feel like you, your horse is understanding the game. And then you're going to hold up the target. And when the horse looks at it, hesitate a second. And the horse might, you know, reach his nose out to it to sniff it or investigate it. They're naturally curious animals. So, um, you know, they might look to investigate. So click that and then treat it the same way and then gradually increase your criteria until the horse is touching it. For horses that are a little bit more spooky or flighty, it might take some time. You might have to, you know, switch to a different target. But, um, you know, this is, it, it, it depends on the horse. But most of them pick it up very quickly. And I know when I first started teaching, I waited for them to touch it. And some horses, it just took forever. But if you break it down and reward the small, correct behaviors you get to your end goal a lot quicker because the horse is like oh okay so we're we're working the goal is to touch this thing okay and but you want to reward that the horse is noticing it and paying attention to it otherwise what happens is if you hold it and you just wait for the horse to come to it they'll be like okay that's a thing now where's the food i smell (laughs) and you don't want that so you're installing that their behavior has something to do with getting the food So after your horse is really consistently getting that target, then you can start changing the location of the target, generalizing it to other areas. So now you can start moving the target up high or down low, left, right, and making sure they see it out of both eyes because horses tend to be a little bit different on either side. You have to get them comfortable all sides, and you're still doing all of this in protected contact. So then after you feel like your horse is really going well with the target, then you can go ahead and give them treats. And I like to use an end of session cue. So I put um, a bunch of alfalfa pellets in their bucket and then I leave. So I am giving them a big bonus at the end for hanging with me and learning and being a participant and also not punishing them by just walking away. And you can pair it by saying like, all done, or that's it, or good job, or whatever. Uh, But just don't use a word that you're going to use for other things. So if you want to use your keep going signal as good job, don't say it at the end of the session, (laughs) pick a different word or phrase. So that is that. And now we're going to talk about um, manners. This is the biggest thing for people and working with horses and using food reinforcers because everybody's worried about getting bitten or having muggy, pushy, rude horses that are all about food and don't care about anything else. So how do you prevent that? Well, we're going to go back to protected contact. I would not recommend doing it in the same session that you teach target training. I know... It can be so easy to just get so excited and you're like, oh my God, it's happening. Okay, now I'm going to teach this, but give them a brain break. It's a lot. And this is a completely new way of using their brain around you. Most of the time, they're not engaging the side of their brain. So it's it's new and it can be mentally taxing, especially for young horses. So don't... I... A lot of people say not to exceed five to 10 minutes. I have a really hard time doing that. (laughs) And when I video it, I'm like, Oh my God, it's been 40 minutes, particularly with Zoe, we can just go forever. But, um, you know, I would say lower your expectations a little bit, especially at the beginning. It's very mentally taxing for both of you. And you don't want the integrity of your clicking timing to decrease, you know? So just, just take it slow and, you know, give them a 10, 20 minute break, and then come back and then you can work on manners. So how I work on manners, um, some people call it head away, some people call it um, the rules of the game. And I just I think manners is just the best way to describe it, because that's what essentially you're teaching, you're teaching the horse how you want them to behave around food, which is what often gets missed in traditional training. And every horse is different. So if one horse is more predisposed to just kind of hanging out in the cross ties when you bring it treats, then they're getting reinforced for that. And that's what they're going to continue to do because behavior is motivated by history and whatever has worked in the past, their reinforcement history is what they're going to keep doing. So if your horse has always danced in the cross ties and been like looking all over the place and sticking his nose out to you and nuzzling your pockets and or biting your pockets or pinning his ears at you and you give him treats, you're reinforcing that behavior and you're making it stronger. So what I would do is... Is have your horse in protected contact, and you know have your bum bag on initially. Whatever side of the horse you're standing on, I would um, switch the bum bag to the other side just so you're not setting the horse up to fail. Because if you have, you know, your big sack full of treats right in front of the horse's face, they're probably going to be all over it. So just put it on the opposite side. They can still smell it, but they can't reach it, and so they're going to give up trying a lot quicker. And Yes, it's a small extinction procedure if you're a behavior nerd, but um, for the most part, if you do it well, it, they won't get frustrated. So, so what you're going to do is stand, you know, you can either start in front of the horse or at one of the sides. So you and your horse are both facing the same direction and you're on the left side per se. Um, so your horse is going to smell the treats and be like, hey, what's up, dude? And you're just going to hang out just like stand there and then when the horse inevitably sees something in the distance and turns his head the other way or ideally what you want is that the horse's head is between his shoulders straight his head is just facing straight forward and that's your behavior and you've set up the environment so you're in protected contact so if your horse does get muggy or start to bite you you can just step away you don't have to punish them And the horse is also safe from you and, you know, it's, it's a win-win. So I really recommend starting there. And so you're at their left side, you're just hanging out. And then the horse, you know, sees another horse walk by and he, he looks, he takes his attention off of you, click, and then you, um, which sounds totally opposite to like all natural or natural horsemanship practices, but, um, his attention comes back to you real quick. Um, so you click and because you've done the target training, the horse knows that behavior was right. And that's why I like to do it in this order. Some people do the the manners first. And like I said, I don't recommend doing that because it is so arbitrary. They don't have, um, you know, something physical and visual to see and interact with that makes it clear that, oh, my behavior of touching this thing is making this happen. So, you know, I like to do that first. And then you start generalizing that the clicker can be for other behaviors. A lot happens in this, these two first starting places. So, um, you know, you, you click when the horse looks away and they go, Oh wait, I remember that sound. And then you give them the treat, but be quick about it. You want to give them the treat ASAP so that their head doesn't come back into your space because you do not want to accidentally train a loop that the horse comes into your space and then moves out of your space. You click treat and the horse comes back in and then moves out. So this is where we talk about rate of reinforcement. So that means how often are you reinforcing the horse? At the beginning, you are going to reinforce so much, your hands are going to fall off. (laughs) I'm kidding. But you're going to feel like you're feeding your horse a ton. So you can just give them like one or two alfalfa pellets at a time. I like handfuls. I'm very bad about that. But um, (laughs) luckily, I have a thoroughbred with a metabolism, but she is chunky at the moment. But anyway, so you're going to be doing this a lot. Do not wait. I swear to God, do not wait for your horse to come back into your space and then go out to click. If your horse stays out of your space, click it and then reinforce it. And, um, so what I did for my cue for manners, um, because, you know, eventually you're going to have to put all behaviors on cue. I didn't talk about it with the target training because the, the target being presented is the cue. You can attach a, a vocal command to it too, so that your horse doesn't just like touch everything that's put in front of his face. Um, so, you know, you would hold the, you would say target, hold the target up. And then, uh, the horse would touch it. You would click and reinforce In the case of manners, what I did is I'm standing on the left side of my horse and we're both facing forward and my horse has got his head turned, touching me, mugging me for treats, and I just angle my shoulders away. So I put my right shoulder forward, my shoulder that's closest to him goes forward, and I angle my upper body away from him. And nearly every time the horses respond by moving their heads away as well, because horses use head away as a calming signal saying, I'm not a threat. We're okay. And, um, they seem to respond that way. I'm not saying that I'm communicating the horse's own language, but I have noticed that that is often the response that I get. Um, but some horses don't acknowledge it and they just keep mugging you. And in which case you can just step to the side a little bit. And then when the horse returns their head to neutral, click and then walk over and give them a treat full arm extension. And so my cue isn't a verbal one. I don't say like the grown ups are talking. That's what Alexandra, oops, sorry, I pumped the mic. Alexandra Kurland, who is a clicker trainer, um, kind of started the whole ball rolling in this direction. Um, she always um, does Grown ups are talking and she has like when her hands are folded a certain way, that's her cue um, or a verbal cue. I just turn my shoulders away. And I think it makes sense to the horses. And, um, you know, when I was at Curlin's clinic, she actually told me that it it didn't look good. Like for other people watching it, like it it looks kind of rude, or um, you know, like I'm being dismissive of the horse. But um, and that's fine. She's entitled to that opinion, and I I understand where it comes from. And you know, from somebody that doesn't know about horses, it might seem that way. But to the horse, it it seems to make perfect sense to them because they almost all intuitively respond by moving their heads away. So it's up to you. You can choose something else if you don't like the look of that. It's totally your call um but you know it it just sort of happened for me so when i'm standing there and they're all over me i angle my body away and maybe step away and when they return their heads to neutral i click and then i walk over and i feed them and then i go back to my spot and if they stay there i click again and i feed again and then if i walk over there and their heads follow me i just kind of hang out and i might do the cue again and angle my body away and then when they go their heads back to neutral i click again And then I go back, I cue it again and over and over and over again until you've got it really consistent. And then you can, you know, start challenging the horse a little bit and stepping a little bit closer to them. You might switch your fanny pack side, only change one thing at a time. But when you do, then you can cue them and they'll move away and you click and treat. Please do not teach your horse to swing their head to the opposite side of their body (laughs) because like I said A head away can be a calming signal or a sign that the horse is uncomfortable or a little bit nervous or is telling you, you know, I'm not a threat, don't do anything bad. Um, And that behavior comes in really handy when you are doing things that are making the horse uncomfortable and you don't want to not be able to tell if that is the horse communicating something to you or if they are responding to you, you know? Um, So the horse could be like if you were working on a tarp or something and you are walking and the horse does his head away. You don't want to be like, okay, well, is it because the horse is nervous about the tarp or because he thought my body cute? that, you know? So teach just a neutral head position um, because that's what you want. You want the horse's head in the center of his body. Just relax, chilling, not with his head the other way, with his ear and eye, like stretching as far as they can to see what you're doing. Um, just a, a natural in the center of the body position. It's comfortable and it's... Um, you know, to some degree strength training, because it's, it's hard to balance in the center always, because everyone, horses and humans are a little bit off balance all the time. <laughs> but so you're just going to have the horse move his head away, and click, and then you feed. And then if the horse stays in the right place, keep clicking. And then you can start upping your criteria. But Again, at the beginning, you want to keep your criteria low. So don't start out with your fanny pack in your horse's face, standing directly under his nose and expect the horse to know that he's supposed to keep his head out of your space. You have to teach it and you have to explain to the horse that this is how you get food. And if you find that it's just not happening, then something is something's going wrong and your criteria is probably too high or you're not clicking fast enough or you're not reinforcing often enough. If your horse is in a really big pasture, And, you know, he's got hay and food and, you know, grain or maybe not grain, but like alfalfa, like he's got a lot of other options. He's got his buddies out there and you're clicking like every two minutes, the horse is probably going to be like, this isn't worth it, dude. I'm going to go do something else. But if you are, you know, making it reinforcing and being fair to the horse and rewarding his little attempts to do your goal behavior, then you're going to have a horse that's really engaged and learning really quickly. So... You know, you reinforce the head in the center of the body, and then you gradually increase your criteria to where you have, um, you know, fanny pack closer to the horse, you're standing a little closer to the horse, but your cue is still working the same, and then you're gonna switch sides. And this is where you go, okay, my horse is dyslexic. <laughs> um, and when I first taught this, I did teach by teaching head away. And my horses got very confused, and this is why this is also a bad thing to teach. So if I'm standing on the left side and I teach head away, my horse's head goes to the right. But when I'm standing on the right side, everything we've just done is teaching the horse to go towards me. So now my horse is confused and like, okay, why isn't this working anymore? And they might get frustrated going through a little bit of extinction. Um, so when you teach the head in the center of the body, it, it just it's an easier transition from side to side. So then when you do switch sides and your cue might be the reverse of what the other one was, so you might angle your new inside shoulder, your left shoulder forward, and the horse's head stays in the center of his body, his eye or ear is on you, and you click and treat. And then you keep doing that. And it might take some time. And, you know, when you change one variable, you must lower your criteria. So when you change sides, you must lower your expectation for the behavior. Don't expect to get the goal behavior because now you've changed something. And this is how you do really, 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 really good and thorough training. Because your horse is never getting steps skipped the horse understands thoroughly because you have to back up every single time you change something and then it goes way faster. But if you keep expecting the horse to, you know, just keep doing the same thing, even though you're changing a bunch of stuff, the horse is eventually going to get frustrated or confused. Um, your rate of reinforcement is going to drop and then you're going to lose them. So you want to make sure that the horse is successful and you are appropriately raising or lowering criteria and your rate of reinforcement is pretty high it needs to be high in the beginning and then you can slowly start like not reinforcing all the time but you know you want to like you want to get paid for working so does your horse so make sure you pay them <laughs> and uh so yeah then of course timing with the clicker is a really important thing to consider you need to the second you see the behavior you want or any indication that it's about to happen or A small component of it, like I said, with um, touching the target, like if the horse looks at it, even if he doesn't move his head, but if his eyeball looks at it, click that. And then you get to where you can build up to it. But don't wait on the whole thing to happen or wait till three seconds after the behaviors happened and then click because then you're reinforcing the wrong thing. So your timing is really important. Again, I would use a tangible clicker, and that is pretty much everything. So pick a behavior, set up the environment, and plan out the behavior. And setting up the environment will be a part of planning. But, you know, just take a piece of paper. It can be a napkin out of your car. Whatever behavior you're going to work on, write your goal behavior at the top, like targeting. I want my horse to touch a cone. Break down each little itty bitty teeny tiny component of that behavior and start from the beginning like the horse has to notice it. Look at it with its eyeball. Click that. Then the horse has to turn his head. Click that. The horse has to put its ear on it. Click that. The horse has to move towards it. Click that. The horse has to finally get close to it. Click that. The horse has to touch it. Click that. The horse has to touch it here. Click that, you know, and then you can play around with it and then make sure that your cue is really solid. So those are pretty much the first couple behaviors I teach. Um, Those are your core foundation behaviors. You want your horse, no matter what behavior you're doing, to understand that, um, you know, the clicker means those two things. It means food's coming and that was right. And also you have to now implement the manners behavior back to the targeting behavior So you've taught targeting first, now you've taught manners, and your horse's head is squarely in the center of his body. So now, you know, maybe this is your third session. Um, I really wouldn't do them all on the same day. I would wait another day, come back, um, mostly because you're both going to be mentally exhausted, usually, Um, or go find another horse to do it with, you know, just give that one a break, because there's a lot to be said about latent learning, which means learning that happens, you know, after the initial learning, it's like they rehearse it all night. Not actually don't, I'm not an idiot. (laughs) But their their brain, you know, fine tunes those uh, connections and neural pathways. So now what you're going to do, you've taught those two things, you've come back and you're ready to combine them. So I would start with an introduction to targeting again. Hold up the target. If the horse moves towards it, just click, you know, don't expect to get the goal behavior the next day as well. So, you know, lower your criteria a little bit, you've changed something. It's the next day. So, you know, you might have to back up a little bit. Usually you don't really have to go that far backwards. They, they're pretty keen on it. Um, but this time when you click, um, and you grab your feed, if your horse comes into your space, you're going to cue for the head away and then feed. So you have to apply that no matter what behavior you're asking for, that head away one must be there all the time. So, um, you know, a way to kind of mitigate that so you don't have to double cue, so to speak, is to, um, hold up your target. And when your horse touches it, click and then get your food and extend your arm and feed it to the horse. You know, don't scare them, but be quick about it so that you don't give them time to be wrong. You don't give them time to fail by coming into your space. I don't recommend preloading because it can be distracting for the horse and it kind of disrupts your process. And by preloading, I mean like Having the food in your hand while you're targeting, um, I keep everything the same because if you do that, you've changed something and now you have to go back. Um, so I would leave your food in your pouch, and hold up the target, click, and then reach. And usually, if you are reaching into your uh, treat pouch and it's on the opposite side of you as the horse is, you're having to reach across your body, so you're kind of inadvertently cueing anyway for head away, and then you reach and uh, feed the horse. So. That is the third step that I always recommend because that way the horse is now learning no matter what behavior I do, I don't have to go get the food. This little human person will bring it to my mouth. I don't have to go anywhere. And uh, that way that when you start working outside of protected contact and doing other more complicated behaviors, you don't have to worry about your horse coming into your space or mugging you or being all over you for food or anything like that. So now you have a horse who is well-mannered around food and now has an established reinforcement history that's more reinforcing than the mugging behavior. So if you remember what I said earlier, is that horses, animals, all of us do whatever is most reinforcing, most motivating for us. So if I have a greater reinforcement history... For getting up and grabbing a water bottle out of the fridge, than I do from grabbing it out of my cabinet, I'm going to always choose to grab it out of the fridge. But if all of a sudden my water bottles are only in my cabinet and no longer in my fridge, then I'm not gonna go to my fridge anymore. So the same thing works with the horses. If you have food in your pocket and they have always searched your pockets for food, but now all of a sudden they have a stronger, more frequent, greater reinforcement history for being out of your space when you have food, then they'll do that more often. They choose whatever is most reinforcing and has the greatest history of reinforcement. Um, So again, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, reinforcement means increasing behavior. You want your horse to stay out of your space when you have food, reinforce the horse when he's out of your space with the food. But if he's in your space and you feed him you're reinforcing that. And that's not what anybody wants, because everybody always complains about horses being muggy. Um, So stop reinforcing them for it. Um, So yeah, I think that that is about it for that segment. So, you know, then we get into cues. And like I said, with, um, you know, the targeting, you can use a word so that if you were to hold up two targets, you could say target and point to one. um, Or you could hold up two items and say target and the horse targets the one that he has you know, associated with targeting. Um, That way you can transfer it to being outside. You know, you could have a stationary target and tell your horse to go target it and it would walk over to it. Um, There's a lot of different ways you can play with that and a lot of different applications. Um, And, you know, there's also something to be said about stimulus control. It doesn't really apply with the two beginning behaviors, but you, it, it stimulus control just means you only want that behavior to happen when you cue it. And it doesn't need to happen any other time that you cue it. So for instance, I taught Zoe to target her hip to my hand. So I would walk to her hip, hold up my hand and say hip, and she would swing her hip towards me. Now, what happened was I walked around behind her one day, and she swung her hip at me and she stepped on me and almost broke my foot. <laughs> and then I was like, as I'm on my way to the, you know, MedExpress, I was like, all right, stimulus control it is then didn't take that seriously, definitely need to. So you can see for targeting and um, manners or head away, it's not really that big of a deal. But um, for things like that, you will need it. And how I taught stimulus control at that particular behavior was, like, there's, there's a few ways to teach it. Um, The first way is to use extinction. And to just like, stand in the area, you know, maybe not even, but like just when the behavior happens and you haven't cued it, you don't reinforce and you only reinforce when you cue it. So, um, you know, I might stand by her hip and not hold up my hand. And if she swings her hip towards me, I'm just not going to reinforce until she stops and then I cue and then I'll reinforce. Um, I don't recommend doing that because it's very frustrating for the animals. They're like, what the hell, dude? Um, so what I do is I stand in the same spot that tends to predict it, um, you know, because my cue is the hand target. And it's it's arguable that, um, you know, me standing in that spot is the cue as well. But um, I think it's more of a, like a, kind of like a fourth layer cue almost um so what I do is I stand in that same spot but I don't cue hip target I ask for back and you would have to have installed back and like making the horse walk backwards you would have to have made that uh one of their behaviors and then I cue it at her shoulder and then I cue it at her belly and then I cue it at her hip and so even though I'm in that spot where I usually cue hip target, I'm cueing her for back. So now she's learning, okay, wait, I have to wait on the cue because I don't know what she's going to ask. I believe that is called um, differential reinforcement of an incompatible behavior, perhaps, or it might just be, um, you know, using incompatible behaviors. But um, And then I alternate between asking for back and asking for hip target, and then she doesn't just cue or offer hip target out of nowhere. Um, so... That is the goal of stimulus control, and I will say I am not the best <laughs> at doing that because I forget <laughs> to make sure that the horse isn't just going to do it whenever. Um, but that's um, that's a really important thing to consider because like, if you were to teach, say, something like rear or trot, you don't want the horse to just do those things out of the blue. They need to only do them when they have been cued, and yeah, so don't reinforce it when it's not cued. But um, I would really recommend using an alternate but similar behavior. Um, So that kind of leads me into the last little part that I think I'm going to do for this episode of this series, um, or episode one. So what do you do? Like, now what? You've taught the horse how to behave around food and what the clicker means through targeting. Now what? Um, So yeah. A lot of you ask, like, what you need to do before you move on, or how do you know when you're ready uh, to move on, or how do you make sure that you're not rushing or pushing anything? Um, You know, I would say that you know you're not rushing or pushing if your horse is staying alert and happy, and they have a kind facial expression. They look like they're keen, bright-eyed, and bushy-tailed, you know, and that you're reinforcing often enough and your horse isn't getting confused. And if your horse is getting confused, you need to go back a step and make it clear, break it down more, or ask in a different way. And um, you know when you're ready to move on, when your horse is consistently responding to the target. And seems like they understand what the clicker means and when you get food out of their pou- out of your pouch that they- they're not coming into your space anymore. Regardless of where you are around them, you can be in front of them, you can be beside them, but you are always going to bring the food to them. The next thing I would do from there would be to move out of protected contact, so where you're in the same space as the horse, whether it's their paddock or their stall and do those same things there and have the same expectations and if you ever feel unsafe or like your horse is crowding you, go back to protected contact. And then, um, you know, once you're getting the same exact results out of protected contact as you are in, and then I would move into the next step of this, which is to make sure that the horse understands really that they don't need to come to you for food. So you've done it in protected contact when you're right next to their head and you don't even have to take a step to hand it to them. Um, but now you are going to, um, cue manners all around their body. So that way the horse knows, okay, I just have to stand here. And you know, maybe the easiest way to teach this is to do mat training. Um, I did it with Zoe where I just bought a really cheap little mat off of Amazon, like a doormat. And I taught her to step on it. Um, I targeted her with her, like a, I held a, my target out in front of her and had her, uh, touch it until we got close to the mat. And then she would put both of her front feet on it. And I would click for that. And then I gradually faded out the target. And then um, started to work on being able to move around her without her moving off of the mat. Her goal behavior was to stay on the mat with her head in the center of her body. And uh, so that's one way to do it. But that might be a little complicated for you if you're not interested in it. That's okay. Um, You can simply just start doing what I was talking about with, um, you know, teaching the back, um, or the back versus the hip targeting. So you hold out your target and your horse touches it and you click and treat, and then you take a step backwards, uh, or hold out your target and then take a step backwards so that the horse is still thinking about the target, but you're now a little bit more behind so that when you have to, um, when you feed them, you now have to take a step up to feed them. So, then you can gradually start working your way back, or maybe you use a stationary target. Maybe you stick your target through a hole in the fence, tie it somewhere, and you say target, and the horse touches it, and then you can start working around their body without having to hold the target. There are a bunch of different ways to approach the same thing, but this way the horse learns that you're coming to them for food. And this will help with things like being at the mounting block, because a lot of people run into issues with this if they haven't worked on it, where when you get the horse to line up at the mounting block, great, they've lined up, you click and they turn around and face you and to get their treat. But now they're the saddle is far away. And you can no longer get on because you would have to mount their ears. (laughs) So you um, it's really important that that's some of the beginning stuff that you teach. So targeting, installing the clicker, and its meanings, manners, how to behave around food, and that you will always bring the food to them. Do not ever make them come for the food. If you stand there and expect the horse to come up to you, you're going to have problems in the training later. Make that a rule for yourself. You must always give it to the horse. You must bring it to the horse, I should say. So um, as far as what you do next, um, I have some ideas and but predominantly, it's really just, like, whatever you want to do. I would say that you be aware that the first things you teach are going to be your horse's default behaviors. So, for instance, with Zoe, I taught her targeting and manners, and then I taught her how to smile. So, either that or I taught her how to smile, and then I taught her targeting and manners. It's was probably more likely because I was stupid. Um, but now, anytime Zoe gets confused or she doesn't really know what I'm asking since smile has a really high, um, or a really large history of being reinforced for, um, being done, you know, um, when she gets confused, she'll smile at me. And by smile, I mean, she like lifts her top lip and I always click and treat her for that because it, it's her saying, Hey, I don't know what you're asking, but this works. (laughs) And it's become kind of a communication for both of us. And like I said, I get stimulus control. But the reason I don't have to put that one on stimulus control is because she's using it to tell me, I don't know what you're asking, but this works. And uh, how about this instead? And so she's telling me that it's not worth it to her to do the other thing because it's either too hard. She doesn't get it. It hurts. Um, I've confused her or something else. So I've got to change how I'm asking that behavior to make it more reinforcing. And trust me, it works. It really does. The horse will not just stand there and smile at you the whole time. And you can choose to not reinforce it if you want, but I'd like to tell my horse, okay, I hear you. And, um, you know, do it that way, but um, then, so I, what I'm saying and saying that is do not teach your horse to rear first, please, God, be smart, because you don't want your horse to be like, I'm confused, here's this instead, and then you've got a rear, and if you're not ready for it, you know, or like, Zoe really likes the hip targeting behavior, and she'll do that sometimes, and I'm like, nope, that's, we can't do that, so... Um, that's where you have to work on stimulus control with things like that. But I would really recommend teaching only safe behaviors at the beginning. Do not automatically escalate to things that, um, you know, like chasing you in the field. Um, I would just make sure that that you understand that, please, God. Um, you know, smile is a fun thing to teach. I always recommend teaching it because it's it's cute and it's fun and it it's very versatile. The way Zoe's taught me <laughs> how she uses it and. I just I think that's pretty much the the normal progression and past that whatever you need to work on with your horse you can. So if your horse has an issue with the cross ties, you can start working on cross ties because now your horse understands how to behave around food and now you can train them with it. You've just overcome the biggest hurdle of the whole thing, which is teaching the horse what the clicker means and how to be around food. And so now you can slowly work up to taking steps closer and closer to the cross ties to standing for longer periods of time. You could use a stationary target. You create positive associations with the areas that they don't like. It works with trailering too. Um, Those are, those are all incredible things that you can do with your horses. And, you know, like just because it's relevant to me right now, I'm in a group called OTTB Connect on Facebook. And there was a trailering post and I read through the comments, you know, people responding to this girl who had a horse that uh, was afraid of the trailer and everybody was like, use panels, use natural horsemanship, get the horse's feet moving, make it easy to be in the trailer, hard to be out, beat it until it gets in there, blah, 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 look up Clinton Anderson and all this kind of stuff. And I like my heart broke because I was like, all those poor horses that have been handled like that. And it it's especially heartbreaking because you just don't have to do it. If it was like the barn is burning and if the horse doesn't get in the trailer, we're all going to die. Like, yeah, do what you got to do. But if, I mean, like, if not, like if you're going to a horse show and you just need your horse to get on the trailer, like you don't beat it. It's just, it's selfish and rude, <laughs> frankly. I mean, it's just being lazy and bad training. So You know, to work on trailering, it's the same as the cross ties or anything else. Break it down. Don't expect the horse to get on the trailer to get the food. What is the farthest thing but still the core behavior? The horse has to walk with you. Okay, so let's reinforce for that. Now let's reinforce for being in the vicinity of the trailer, for looking at the trailer, acknowledging it. Okay, now we're touching the trailer. And if you've done mat work, you can teach the horse to stand on a mat and then make it closer to the trailer. Put the mat in the trailer. The horse lifts its foot and puts its one foot in the trailer. You move the mat a little further back. Like you could do it that way or you could nose target all the way into the trailer. There's so much you can do that doesn't require beating the animal because if it were any other animal, you know, if I had a shirt that said that, um, <laughs> if it were any other animal, you wouldn't hit it. And at least I hope not. And you would face some social repercussion for it. But horses, it's perfectly acceptable to do it. And, you know, I was talking about things like this to my friend um, who is not a horsey person. And she was just like, she was like, I just don't understand. Like, how is that okay? How can you hit a horse? And, you know, this isn't the conversation of like, are whips appropriate ever, blah, blah, blah. I'm not personally a fan of whips. I don't think that they really have a purpose in training. Um, But, you know, a lot of people really like their whips and use them more lightly um but it's i don't know i that's not this conversation but anyway I, she was just like i just don't get it like you wouldn't do that to a dog or a cat and i was like i agree <laughs> like it just we're we're very hard on horses and i know it comes from the dominance theory and the traditional training that came from using them for you know battles and agriculture and things of that nature but now they're for pets and for pleasure and so if we've evolved our use for them we also should logically evolve our training for them so it's enjoyable for everyone you know getting on the trailer shouldn't be something that you both dread Getting on the trailer should be exciting because you're about to go somewhere and you're about to do something and your horse likes to go to these new places. You have to make everything a good experience for them because it's not just about you. It's not about making the horse a machine and them just doing whatever you ask. You know, they're a part of this too. It's a partnership. And you want the horse to have a good time. So, beating it onto the trailer and any conceptualization is not the horse having a good time. It is you now becoming scarier than the thing that the horse is afraid of in the first place. So, now you're scarier than the trailer... And the horse would rather be in the trailer than with you, whereas, you know, if you use positive reinforcement, the horse is following you into the trailer and is like, oh, okay, well, if you're in there, I guess I can come too, and I'll get good snacks, and it'll be a good time. And then they start to associate, like Pavlov's dog, they start to associate you with good things, and they start to associate the trailer with good things. Now, that doesn't mean that you're just a, you know, a gumball machine of treats for the horse, but it's the emotions that get paired with you. Just like I don't see my friend as a roller coaster, but I I see good things in our friendship because we have, you know, good talks. She makes me feel good. We have fun adventures together and things like that. So I, we don't have to, you know, I don't use her for those things. But I, the emotions that come with the things that we do is you know, it, it makes me associate that with her on a subconscious level. And the same thing happens with the horses and any animal you work with. You know, if you, if every time you come home and you beat your dog, your dog is suddenly going to look guilty. Um, but you know, if you address the issue, which is that the dog has usually torn up your house because he's bored or didn't get his energy or exercise, um, or didn't get his energy out or exercise. So now he's chewing up your your couch and now you're angry so then you punish him and then the next day you come back and your dog has done it again because his needs weren't met and then he looks guilty because he's expecting you to hit him again you know or you're using a scary tone of voice or your your body language is different or your face is different horses there's studies been done that show that horses can recognize our facial expressions and horses have even more facial expressions than dogs do if you pay attention but people are so used to looking at horses like livestock or machines that you know, are a means to an end, instead of like an animal (laughs) that has thoughts and feelings and opinions. And you have to respect that and also make things enjoyable for them. And like I said, that doesn't mean that everybody who rides traditionally or uses negative reinforcement has a horse that just hates their job, and their owner, and they have all these bad associations. That's not every case. And I don't think it is even all of them, you know, I just think it's, it's a lot more common than necessary and it like i said with that facebook post it just it kills me to see things like that because so many people in the comments were just like essentially telling her to beat her horse to get him or her to get in the trailer and so i wrote a big long comment (laughs) and i provided sources and videos and studies um as well as articles and how to's and things of that nature um Help her because I was like, you know, you just don't have to hit your horse to get it to do the things you want it to do. And if you do, should you really be doing those things unless it's a life or death emergency? It's an ethicality question to me. But anyway, I think that's where I'm going to wrap up this episode. I hope that everything was clear enough for you. I kind of want to do a quick review here. So, reinforcement means to increase the occurrence or frequency or likelihood that a behavior is going to happen. Punishment means the opposite. It means to decrease the occurrence or chance of behavior will happen. Plus, the plus plus in the addition (laughs) to be positive is to add. And the minus is to remove. It is negative, but it is not in the sense of bad. I don't know why I'm explaining that badly. I probably should have just left this part out. (laughs) But anyone can do it as long as you are willing to learn. You are more than able. You've got this. Anyone can learn any age there are children that do it but you just have to you have to know how and it takes time but think about all the time you've put into your traditional training if you put that same amount of time into positive reinforcement you're you're going to be an incredible trainer so you know any horse you can teach and you can use whatever reinforcement is really motivating to your animal but it is up to them to decide what is reinforcing and what isn't keep your rate of reinforcement pretty high in the beginning Um, make sure you always go to your horse to feed them. You click for little successive approximations, the closer to the behavior, the better, but you know, even if it's just a little movement or a muscle twitch in the direction of the right behavior, click for it. And then you can slowly start adding your, or upping your criteria and then asking for more. Um, sorry, I had a hangnail that I've been working on for the past like hour, finally decided to just bite it. Okay. Anyway, so I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. I will be touching on several more topics in this realm in next week's episode, but I hope this gives you an introduction and a place to start with some behaviors to teach. Remember, just start with target training and then manners and then work on being able to do it uh, outside of protected contact and also being able to have the horse just be still while you uh, click, and then bring the food to them. Set your horse up for success. Don't do it somewhere where the horse is likely to spook or run you over or bite you. Um, use protected contact and be safe. Please, God, don't do anything stupid. Don't teach your horse to rear. Yet. I might teach Zoe to rear. I've been thinking about it, but I don't. I don't really want to because it's, it's not great when she she used to do it under saddle and it's not fantastic. I thought we were going to flip over. So, you know, it's kind of a, one of those things that I'm like, maybe she doesn't need to know how to do that. Because what if I die and then somebody else gets her and they accidentally cue it and then she rears and then she goes to slaughter, you know, like that would be bad. So <laughs> anyway, that's the worst case scenario. That's how my brain works. But that, those are the things you have to think about. Don't teach your horse something that a new person will not or will do on accident that could be dangerous. Please, um, but with that, I am going to leave you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I hope that you learned something. I hope it made sense. If you need further clarification, please go to the positive reinforcement tab on jetequithery.com. I've got a training glossary, a positive reinforcement one hundred and one tab where it, you know I tell you what all you need to get started your training gear, what books to read first, what podcasts to listen to, what online communities to join there. I have courses listed like online courses that you can take, Um, you know, trainers, videos you can watch on how to do this. I have a video um, on how to do those Uh, behaviors that I just talked about. And then I've got three blog posts about what's the deal with the clicker, how to start clicker training, and is it just a fad? Is it something worth looking into? Or is it just something that's going to pass? So be sure to check out those blogs and, you know, you want to check out the shop tab on the website as well, you can do that. And if you have a training question that I didn't answer here, please feel free to join the Patreon at whatever tier works best for you. And I will do my best to answer your question ASAP on the podcast and uh, let you know how I can help you or how you can help your horse. So, thank you guys. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Jet Equithery and Equithery on all platforms except Twitter. It's just Jet Equithery. But with that said, I think I think this is it. So, thank you guys. If you're listening on YouTube, be sure to subscribe. And uh, if you're listening on a podcast app, be sure to rate and review. It helps the algorithm and make this podcast more available to other people. And also be sure to share this episode with friends. If you know anybody that's interested in clicker training or is Loki doing it badly or <laughs> uh, should look into it, share it with them and uh you know even if you don't it really helps if you share it on facebook and instagram and i love seeing it It makes me very happy and it's it's a way to get the word out there and it helps me out a lot so if everybody who listened shared this a lot of people would be seeing this so that would be cool so thank you all for listening do what you can if you want and uh happy clicking question mark i'm not saying that no that's mm -mm. no have fun with your horse (laughs) see you next tuesday